just going to look at a few verses today, but we're going to conclude chapter 1. Last week we talked about the promises we can have and the, the comfort, I guess, of the promises that we have in God. Not only what he's done for us, but what God continues to do in us and through us. And we talked about those promises. Those promises are so meaningful because we know that God not only makes promises, but he is an all-powerful God that fulfills those promises. That when God promises something, it is sure. We sang about our foundation of our faith in Christ is something that is sure. It's something that is solid. We are on solid ground with our faith because we know that God keeps his word and God keeps his promises. Well, Peter is, is knowing that the end of his life is probably nearing when he's writing this. And he's writing to Christians, wanting them to be stirred up. That was the term that he used last week we talked about. He says, with my, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but it seems like what Peter's saying is, with my final breath, with every last bit of energy, he says, I want to stir you up. To, to be, for you to be reminded of what not only God has done for you, but what God is doing in you, what God is doing through you. And Peter says, I want you to have this confidence. And he says in um, verse number 15, he says that I will endeavor that ye may be able after my decease to have these things in remembrance. So he's saying, look, after I'm gone, after I die, I want you to still remember these things that I'm writing and the, the truths that I have taught you. And he says this, he says that we have not followed cunningly devised fables when we made known unto you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he says, rather, we were actual eyewitnesses of his majesty. He's going to go on. We're going to look at the instance that he gives that he's remembering back that he was an eyewitness to Christ when Christ was on what's called the Mount of Transfiguration. But Peter's saying, look, I'm not telling you guys, I'm not making these things up and I don't, we're not following after just fables, the, the, the Greek word mythos or just myths, fairy tales. He's saying that's not what we're following. He said, so it almost seems like the obvious is that this was the accusation people were making. Ah, you guys are just following fables. You're following fairy tales. You're following just these cleverly devised stories that came from the mind of man. And when we even hear those words, you know what we notice? We can't help but notice. Not a lot has changed on the attacks of Christianity and the attacks of the validity of Scripture. Because we see those same things today. That people think, well, you're just following myths. You're following a made-up religion. Have you ever heard that? Have people maybe ever expressed that to you? And sometimes it's because people just really don't want to believe, right? Because they love their sin and they don't want to surrender and submit to Christ. And other times, though that's true really of all the unbelieving world, sometimes it's more of just in the context of they've just, re they're repeating things that they've heard. Maybe someone that seems credible. 
maybe someone that's famous. Like I, I can't help but think about, and this was probably a couple years ago, um, that, that on the Joe Rogan experience, Joe Rogan just went off the rails talking about Christianity's dumb. And I mean, he used other, he used other words for it that I won't repeat, but he said, oh, you guys are just following this made up thing. And, and, you know, we got the, and, and by the way, I like to listen to, to, to some of Joe Rogan stuff. Like, I think he's got some interesting stuff that he talks about, but he was just going like off the rails about Christianity and how, you know, the Bible, we got it from, you know, Constantine made it up and, and it, it just like all these things, like Joe, speaking of making things up on the spot, like this is exactly what you're doing. Like I have no earthly idea what he was referring to. I don't know if he was maybe referring to like he thought Constantine a point or picked what books were in the canon. That's the only thing I can even halfway guess, which that even is so far from reality and from history. But I, I make that point to emphasize this, that sometimes people hear someone that's famous or popular or that they like to listen to in certain areas and they just like, they'll blindly follow anything that they say. And while we get a chuckle out of that, it just, you know, how much just historical error, I mean, how much actual myth was in that, his, in that presentation of what he thought the scripture, how we got it and, and how it came to be, it's actually quite sad. It's actually quite sad because how many hundreds of thousands and maybe even millions of people that listen to his podcast that are just blindly following that. Now, that's not an excuse because the truth is out there and the truth is available. But it's really sad. And maybe for you, like you're here as just a, a, an honest skeptic of someone that maybe you're not really sure where you land on believing in Christianity, believing in God's word. And, and maybe for you, it's like that's your journey. And the last thing that I would ever want to do is, is mock someone that's truly seeking and searching I give that as an example, an illustration, though, that there's something called confirmation bias that can be on both sides, where we just believe and want to hear, or we believe something that we want to believe. We hear something that we already have this comfort, we already have this bias towards, and if it confirms what we think or what we want to be true, we assume it is true. And here's the thing, that's not how Christians should live. That's not how we as believers should put our confidence and faith in because our faith can actually hold up to scrutiny. Faith in God and his word, it can actually take the shots that this culture and world gives and it will stand and it will stand firm. And here's what Peter's saying. We are not following myths. We're not following cunningly devised fables. He said, but on the contrary, he said, we were actually eyewitnesses of his majesty. Now, this isn't where I'm going with the sermon today, but it is important to know that like our, our scripture that we have, that it is historically reliable because it actually came from eyewitness testimony and accounts. Like things like, um, and I've made reference to this. In fact, um, there's a QR code we'll throw up here. This is um, actually a sermon from a series, um, I want to say a year and a half ago, 
that we did. It was a sermon series, Why We Believe. And if you want to scan that or just go look on YouTube later if you want. If you want to dive into that, it's a, a whole sermon we did on why we believe the Bible is God's word. And we talk about a lot of different things like the inspiration. We talk about fulfilled prophecy. We talk about the preservation of the text that we have today. We talked about just the historical reliability. Like in, in Luke's gospel and then Luke also wrote the book of Acts. It's like I think it's 119 or maybe it's 139 like verifiable historical facts. Like it's not written in the language of just vague, uh, that could be a lot of different things. It's not really verifiable. It's almost like this. It's almost like the writers of the gospels and the new Testament were saying, we dare you go fact check us on these things. Now that in itself doesn't prove that the Bible is the word of God, but that is important for us to note it is important for us to be aware of that it's written in the language of, look, you can actually verify some of these names of people and places. It's written in that context. And again, there's different books that have a, a different context of, of how we read those and interpret them. But the Bible is full of historical facts. Here's another chart that I think we talked about that shows just the like... The unity is a, a graph of what's called cross-references. And these are different um, places in scripture. A cross-reference is like one scripture that's referencing another scripture. So like the bottom, all those white lines are like chapters in the Bible starting from Genesis to Revelation. And the colorful lines are, are the cross-references. One scripture that's alluding to another. I think it's like 60-some thousand. And so... Does that prove, therefore, the Bible is God's word and true? Well, no, of course not. But I think it's a significant piece of the puzzle to show that, no, the, as, as some skeptics like to put it, you know, these dumb goat herders that wrote the Bible, like, maybe it didn't just come from the mind of man making stuff up. It's actually quite complex. But what's significant about it is this, that as complex as it is, the Bible, when you look at all 66 books of our canon that were written really over the course of 1,500 years on three different continents by about 40 human authors, and yet you see how unified it is, how harmonious that it is, I think is rather significant. And Peter's saying, listen, we are eyewitnesses of these accounts. He said, we're not just making things up. We're actually witnessed these things. He says, for he received from God the Father, verse 17, honor and glory. When there came such a voice to him from the excellent glory, this is my beloved son. So Peter's recalling now a time, an eyewitness account when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration is what it's called. Peter's there, and he's, he, he's re recalling back to when he was on, on the Mount of Transfiguration, and Moses and Elijah appear. Moses and Elijah appear, and Peter, who's always like quick to speak, right? You'd probably know that about Peter. Well, Peter's much older and wiser now that he's writing this. But Peter says, let's build an altar. Let's build three to Jesus, and one to Moses, and one to Elijah, and then the voice of the Father, of God the Father, says, no, this is my beloved Son. 
in whom I'm well pleased. In other words, what the father saying is, no, Jesus is above Moses. Jesus is above Elijah. And Peter's reflecting back on this miraculous, monumental time in his life. He's saying, look, we were actually eyewitnesses of his majesty. And he remembers the voice of the father saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm, I am well pleased. And this voice which came from heaven, we heard when we were with him in the holy mount. So Peter's reflecting this. He's saying, look, we're not following made up stories that came from the mind of man. We're actually eyewitnesses. And not only that, he now tells them, he says, you have an even more sure word of prophecy. In other words, you have an even greater confidence than what we have in just the eyewitness details, though there was eyewitness details. He says, you have something even more sure. And he says, the prophecy, he's talking about the scripture. He says, you would do well to take heed as unto a light that shineth in a dark place until the day dawn and the day star arise in your hearts. Knowing this first, no prophecy of the scripture is of any private interpretation. He says, for the prophecy, it came not in old time. By the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. This is the doctrine of inspiration. That the Bible that we have, that it is, it came, it is God breathed. And that's what inspiration means. Theonustos, it means that it is God breathed. That yes, there were human authors. And those human authors were were just instruments. And they wrote down what the Holy Spirit of God gave them to write down as they were carried along. Now, some think, some would present this almost like the writers of the Bible were like, came, came under like this trance when they were writing. I don't think that's how, I don't think that's what Peter's saying here. I don't think that, I think they were able to write in their own style, their own personality, but yet we know that it wasn't just from their mind that it came from, that it actually came from the mind of God. So the question is this, why? Why do we think that? I mean, there's also other religious texts out there that people say there that came from God, that came directly from God. Why do we reject that, but accept the scripture? Well, Again, there's many reasons we can point out in building up that case, so to speak, or the argument for the reliability or the trustworthiness of Scripture, right? I made reference to, like, historical facts. I made reference to even the preservation of the text, how, how we have so many manuscripts from the, from, from the, the Scripture that— we can compare them and there's so many that are available and it's just, that's miraculous in itself that you have so many texts of scripture from all places, from all over the globe, from all different times, and yet you have a unified message. But look, the point is this, that we actually have great reliability and great reason to believe that we can trust the Bible. 
But not only that, it's the, even the presupposition of, of the truth of God's word. In other words, what that means is this, that you take out God's word is true. You take God out of the equation. Our worldview doesn't even make sense. It all comes crumbling down. And I'm not saying there's not outside evidence because I just listed some. I think there is plenty of outside evidence. But the Bible, we're not saying, oh, the Bible's true because the Bible says it's true. Like as circular reasoning. We're saying the Bible's true because it says it's true. And, and it supports everything we see in reality. How the world is. What the Bible says about even human, mankind. Why there's evil and suffering in the world. None of those things make sense outside of a biblical worldview. But... I would say this, one of the greatest, I think, outside evidences is that there is fulfilled prophecy. And the reason I pick that one and I say that one is this, because it seems like that's what the scripture itself says, this is the test that you can believe it's true. Like in Isaiah, Isaiah the prophet, when, when it's, uh, the context is the trial of the, the gods and the false gods around them. They said, look, our God, he'll actually tell you the end from the beginning. He'll tell you what's going to happen before it happens. And then in Deuteronomy, the, the test of prophets, how do you know if, if it's the voice of God? How do you know if a prophet saying, God told me this, that God actually told them that? And that's because they will predict and tell them something that will happen before it happens. And that is what we have in scripture. We have things that are predicted and prophesied that will happen. And they happen. And it was written hundreds of years prior. Some cases even up in the thousand, a thousand to, to 1500 years before it happened. And it came to pass. So you say, well, how do you know Christianity's true? And these other religions aren't. And I would say, well, one reason is. Because those other religions came from the mind of man. Like, for example, the, the Jehovah's Witnesses, they have prophecies. And they have prophecies. They give specific prophecies of something that would happen, of things that will happen uh, in, about the return of Christ. And about how Abraham and Jacob are going to return and the millennial kingdom begins. And they said, it's going to happen in this window of time. And guess what? It didn't happen. And so then they said, well, give it a little more time. We were just a little off on the timing. Give it a little more time. And so they pushed that timeline up and guess what? It never happened. And the same thing with the Mormons, with Joseph Smith's prophecy about in, in Missouri, how that, that, that of, of the return of Christ and the temple being built and it's going to happen in this window. And yet they didn't happen. And what that shows us is this, those prophecies those words came from the mind of man, not the mind of God. But with scripture, we have a lot of prophecies that were predicted. This is what's going to happen. Maybe you've heard the term messianic prophecies. These are prophecies predicted in the Old Testament about, about Christ, the Messiah. And we see like all of these prophecies that were fulfilled. In the sermon that I already referenced, why we believe the scripture, we get into some of the prophecies like in Ezekiel and Daniel. 
here in like a few weeks, we're going to start the book of Daniel. And we're going to, when we get into like chapter 7, 8, 9, we're going to look at just amazing prophecies. Things like world rulers coming on the scene and people like Alexander the Great. I mean, things really specific. It's not just like, oh, these general things that like were going to be fulfilled by somebody anyway. And so, oh, how convenient they were fulfilled. And it could have been anybody that could have fulfilled those. But we're talking about really specific things, like even how some of these world rulers would die at a time when most of them would die by the sword or they would die by assassins, yet they would die of an unnatural cause of sickness. And that's what happened. Or like Alexander the Great, how he would pass on his kingdom, not to his family, but how he would pass it on. Daniel predicts he would pass it on to the mighty. And that's exactly what Alexander the Great did. He gave his kingdom to his four generals, which was just an absolute train wreck and disaster, as you can imagine that would be. But things like really specific that couldn't be made up. In fact, here, here's the skeptic's response to Daniel. Well, the reason why it's so, so specific and those were fulfilled is because Daniel was written after the fact. But the only thing is, like, all the evidence actually points to an earlier dating of Daniel. The reason they say, well, it had to be written after is because, well, because you can't predict something before it happened. Like, but the thing is, that's why we're saying one of the reasons we believe scripture, because it predicts, it prophesies things that will come to pass. And it does. And there's things like the Dead Sea Scrolls and things like even Josephus mentioning things about Daniel. And so it's like, well, the evidence sure points to that. It was written before those things happened. We'll go into some of those specifics in Daniel. But the point is, the Bible's full of prophecy, fulfilled prophecy. Like in Ezekiel, in that sermon, why we believe, I went through the prophecy in Ezekiel about the destruction of Tyre. This one just intrigues me. Because I never really like put it all together until, re until recently. It's actually a, a video uh, some of you guys listen to and follow uh, Mike Winger. He's got some great content online. Highly recommend him. Um, in fact, some of you, you probably know that I've recommended him to, on certain things. He does like a 20, a 20 video series on like, you know, how we can trust the Bible. Goes into a lot of in-depth stuff. Highly recommend it, especially if it's something that interests you. He did a whole thing on the destruction of Tyre. And the reason he did it is because there was a, a, an outspoken atheist named um, Aaron Ra who said that the Bible has zero fulfilled prophecy. Zero. Like he says, there's none. It's all vague. It's all made up. Christians just, and that's why, you know, the Jews don't believe because all of these things, it's, there's no prophecy. So, so Winger actually like put several out and like, you know, challenged Aaron. It's like, hey, well, here's some. I'll bite. Here's some. I'll give you some. And there was, you know, not surprisingly, no response back. But, but, but Winger did a whole thing on the destruction of Tyre from Ezekiel. Where Ezekiel, the prophet, predicts how the, the city of Tyre would be destroyed. And does it in an extremely specific way. And Tyre was like, at the time, was a world power. So it wasn't like it was like this tiny little nation surrounded by superpowers where it was like, oh, of course they're going to be destroyed. I mean, it was a time where Tyre was like, man, this, this was where these guys were the superpower. And yet so specific about how 
Babylon would come and attack the surrounding cities. And then another wave would come with Alexander the Great. And how that the city would literally be thrown into the sea brick by brick. And the only thing that they will do entire is fish. And that's exactly what happened. Alexander the Great invades. They retreat to an island. He breaks the city down brick by brick. Uses a bridge to build to the Isle of Tyre to go and attack them. This is all in history. And like just super specific things like that. And, and, and my point is this. How do we know the scripture? How do we know it came from the mind of God? Well, there's the presuppositional aspect of without God. If you don't start with God and that his word is true, you have a worldview you can't even make sense of. But there is also external evidence. Things like historical reliability. Things like the unity and composition of the, of the scripture. Things like the preservation of our text. And things like prophecy that's been fulfilled. And Peter says, look, I was an eyewitness of these things. He says, I'm not, I'm not just telling you cunningly or crafty stories to get you to follow things that aren't true. He says, no, no, no. We're eyewitnesses of these things. And he, and he says, he gives an example he gives an example about just a transformational, powerful time on that Mount of Transfiguration. He says this, you, you have an even more sure word in the scripture. You have an even more powerful assurance than the account of eyewitness testimony. And that assurance that he's given to these churches that he's writing to in this Asia region. You and I today can have that same assurance that God's word is true. We have a more sure word. And Peter's saying, because he's going to talk in the next chapter, hey, there's false teachers out there that are trying to lead you astray. They're trying to pull you away. And probably what the accusation is, oh, yeah, Pete and, and these other guys, man, they're just follow, They're trying to get you to follow these fables, these myths, these cleverly put together stories. And it's amazing. Not a lot's changed in the attacks of Scripture. Oh, it just came from the ancient myths and the, the, the Greek gods that would die and, and rise again. It's like, actually, when you really dive into some of those ancient myths, the Greek gods, you find it is fundamentally different than the story of Christ, the reality of Christianity. The Christianity is actually based on eyewitness accounts. The Christianity is actually very historically reliable. The Christianity, actually, we have a Bible that predicts things will happen before they happen and they come to pass. And the point is this, Peter's saying, you have a sure word. You have a sure foundation. And, and today, today maybe you are at a point in your life and you're a believer and you know the Lord. And you're at a point in your life right now. You need that confidence and assurance. Maybe you've had just a, a catastrophic event happen in your life. I think about just even our, our, our brothers and sisters in Christ in, the, in this room now. You're grieving over the loss of a loved one just in, in the last day, in the last week. And yet as believers, we know by their testimony they were followers of Christ. And so when we say they're in a better place, they're in heaven, they're with the Lord, 
you know what, we're not just saying that to try to give you a false hope and, oh, well, you know, feel good about it. No, we are saying that with confidence. We have an assurance. Peter saying, what I'm preaching, what I'm passing down isn't fables. It's not made up. He says, I was an eyewitness of his majesty. He says, the prophecy of the scripture, it came from the mind of God. And it is more sure than even the eyewitness testimony that I'm giving to you. And we have that confidence in God's word. I want you to have that confidence. I want you to have that confidence that God's word is true. That God's promises are true. That we can open up the word of God and not just see the, pr the precious promises we have as believers in Christ. But we can see that God has spoken. That God tells us as believers how to live. And that through the power of the spirit of God in us by his grace. That we can live in this way. And that God will give us the power. And he will follow through. He will fulfill those things in us. And it's important that we know. That we can have a confidence in God's word. We can have a confidence in scripture. When all around us. There's people that want to shake our confidence. They want to shake our faith in God and his word. As believers, we don't have to be shaken. And by the way, we don't really have to fear. We don't really have to fear the scrutiny and the attacks. Like if our faith was so feeble and so shallow that it couldn't hold up to scrutiny, what kind of a faith would that be anyway? But that's not the kind of faith we have. We have a confident faith. And Peter's reminding these Christians, listen, you have a more sure word of prophecy. It didn't come from the mind of men. Men didn't make this up. It came from the mind of God. That yes, men wrote it, but they wrote it as they were moved, as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. And we have a confidence. We have a Bible we can trust. And that being said, one final application if you're here and you know the Lord, you're a believer, you're a follower of Christ, this should give us a greater hunger to learn and study and dive into the word of God. Amen. We have God's precious word. God has revealed truth to us. We need to be passionate about studying it, diving into it, understanding the, the context of how things were written, who it was written to, how it applies to us as believers. And if you're here today, you don't know the Lord. Maybe one of the greatest hangups for you has been that you've just heard maybe attacks on the word of God. Maybe you've heard attacks on Christianity and you just don't know what to believe. And I would just challenge you to, to follow the evidence where it leads. Follow the evidence where it leads. Now that being said, I absolutely recognize that for someone to believe and to, to trust in the Lord and the Savior, it's not just only the external it is an inward working of the Spirit of God in us. I think many times the Holy Spirit, though, will use some of those outside things to get people thinking and to get people to pursue those things. And so I recognize it's got to be a work of the Holy Spirit of God in you. We're not here to try to argue you into becoming a Christian. But I will say this, we do have a confident, sure faith that can handle the questions and the skeptics and the scrutiny that the unbelieving world will give. And ultimately, if you're here and you don't know the Lord, our prayer is that you would become a, a follower of Jesus Christ. And if God's speaking to you right now, if the Holy Spirit's speaking to you, 
and you've never personally put your faith in Jesus Christ, don't put that off. Trust in Christ that he will save you. And if you want to pray with someone today before you leave, I just want you to know, like, we have people here that would like to pray with you. If you've never trusted Christ and today is the God's drawing you and speaking to you right now in this moment, don't leave today. We want to pray with you. If you're here today, you are a believer and you do know the Lord, but maybe your faith has just been shaken in the sense of, of maybe people have asked you questions you haven't had an answer to, or maybe a catastrophic event has happened to you. Man, it has caused you to just question whether your faith is genuine and real. Let me just say this. We also want to talk with you and pray with you because those things can really rattle us and really shake us and we want you to know, like, we're not just going to brush off your questions or brush off the pain that you're in as it's not important. But don't allow that doubt to build up. Don't ignore those things. That God's word is true and we can have a confidence in it. We want you to know you have brothers and sisters in Christ here that love you. We care very much for you. And if you're battling those things or you're questioning certain things, look, we want to we want to know, and, and we want to talk with you through those things. We want to explore those doubts with you. And that's so important that there is people in your life that you can go to and be honest when you have those doubts, when you have those struggles, when you have questions. It's important you have a body of believers, a family, a church family that you can work those things out through and with. Let's close today in prayer. God.